you can change your words and you can understand the power of words, then you can slowly over time begin to shift your thoughts. The Lucky 5-0 and today I am speaking with Mary Shorts. That was a little snippet from our interview that you just heard there. Now Mary is the writer of a new book called Conscious Communications. She's also the founder and CEO of a multi-million dollar company, which we talk about a little more in this episode. Mary created the Conscious Communications Framework out of her need to see things done differently. Mary is a self-confessed neuroscience junkie, and she took the skills that she had learned through neuroscience and applied them to her own life to help her overcome adversity. Her hope now is that she can help others do the same and live beautiful, bright lives. So today we're going to be talking through all of that and how important the language we use with ourselves and the world really is. Specifically, we're going to touch on overcoming adversity, the keys to how we communicate with ourselves and the world and why that matters and ultimately how consciously communicating can improve our lives. It's goodness in here, so stay tuned. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Mary, I am really excited to have you on here to thrive today and to talk about your upcoming book, Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm so thrilled and it is my pleasure. Your book is called Conscious Communication. So I want to start there. What is it? Can you give us a little rundown? Well, Conscious Communications to me is all about how to get your life in alignment with your dreams because I've been kind of a spiritual seeker for over 10 years now. And one of the things that I find is that there's always these goals like get in alignment or be in the now, but no one really tells you how to do those things. So I'm really very focused on how to get yourself into alignment and how to get your, you know, how to understand the power of now, how to make choices that are going to support your moving into that reality that is based on your very best outcome of your future. Before we launch in to why this is important, I want to learn a little bit more about you and your story. You've overcome your fair share of adversity. I picked that up in your book And I feel like there are topics that so many of our listeners could relate to struggling with. You personally talked about having a rough childhood, and then I can't even imagine, but the death of your first child, divorce, and then raising an autistic son. Can you tell me a little bit more about your story and the first time you thought, ugh, life is too hard? Yeah, you know, I think that life was relatively good for me until I was about two years old. 
And then my, I was living in California. I was born in San Diego and sometime between the age of two and three, my parents got divorced, which isn't a big deal in today's world, except for that my mother sent me off to live with relatives. And so right off the bat, I sort of had this foundation that had a lot of fear of abandonment in it. And, um, I did end up back with my mother a couple of years later and she was remarried and I actually had a really wonderful childhood again until I was about 16 and my mother got divorced again and I was not no longer fitting in to her lifestyle. So I was on my own at 16. And by the time I was 19, I was pregnant with my first child. I had a very healthy pregnancy. And then right during labor, what had happened was there, the heartbeat sort of slipped off the heart monitor. And within a few minutes, it was such a whirlwind, but within a few minutes, they were prepping me for emergency surgery, which I found out later was actually more to save my life because my uterus had begun to rupture. And so there was clearly something going on. My daughter, Haley, suffered with over five minutes of lack of oxygen to the brain. They didn't expect her to live for more than just a couple of days, but she actually lived for a year and a half. And yeah, and at 19, I have to tell you that my life really became about living in children's hospitals because we would go take her to a doctor's appointment and we would end up admitted and we would be there for a month. So these were things like sleeping on the floor of the emergency room and really didn't have any money or resources. But the things that you see in those children's hospitals, you really can't see. And I'm talking about burn victims, children with just just really devastating illnesses that there's actually worse things than cancer, believe it or not. Mm. So yeah, it just was, it was really profound at such a young age. And my daughter, she was brain damage to the point where she couldn't even suck a bottle. So she had a gastronomy tube that was inserted into her belly. I also had to suction her lungs every four hours, which looked like a little thin tube that I would have to thread through her tiny, tiny nostril and down into her lungs and actually use a suction machine to make sure that she didn't have any fluid in her lungs. Oh my that's a, that's a, you know, that's got to make you grow up so quickly, Mary. I definitely was advanced mature wise, uh, beyond my years. And yeah, so she was such a little angel, beautiful, beautiful little girl. Do you feel like she taught you some stuff over that period? It's interesting. And depending on what someone's spiritual beliefs are, I've, I've actually reading a book right now that's talking about the lessons you learn through raising special needs children. And I have to absolutely say that my obsession with neuroscience really began with Haley. And then later on in life, my son, Keegan, who's now 17, was diagnosed with mild autism. So some people call it Asperger's, but he has also just really been a catalyst to my learning about neuroscience and really wanting to bring the things that I'm learning to neuroscience to other women in the world and make it accessible and like not so sciencey. Oh, that it's so interesting that link there, but it totally makes sense, doesn't it? Really, I can see that. 
Do you have a moment that you consider your darkest days? Have you gone through your own divorce as well? I have. I got divorced in 2008, so it's been almost 10 years now. And, you know, the funny thing about dark days is that it's not like you overcome them and you're never going to have them again. So I feel like periodically you go through these, some people call them dark nights of the soul, but you go through these shadow periods. And I, I think it's so important that when it happens, you explore them. And I've actually been super motivated by mine and then really have created steps to how to get from when you're in that deepest, darkest hole, so that it seems like you get a flashlight, and then you get a ladder, and you just one step at a time, you start to do the things that bring you to a better place. And I used to think this, like, after I would get out of one of those periods, I would think, oh, I'm done now. And like, the rest of my life is going to just be easy breezy. (laughs) (laughs) I've so heard that. I know exactly what you mean, right? Like, I've mastered this. Now I'm good. Right. Until the next thing happens. And and you know what? You find yourself learning a whole new lesson. So around this discussion of adversity, what helped you look at life differently? What helped you not fall down that rabbit hole of, I'm just going to marinate in my own pain, but no, I am going to step up and be more action focused, I guess. That's such a great question. And I think for me, it's that I always, no matter what, I make a choice that I'm going to move something forward. So whether I'm at the top of my game, my question to myself is, what can I move forward today? And if I'm at the bottom of my game, or if I'm in that deep hole, it's like, even though I'm in this bad place, what can I still move forward? And sometimes that moving something forward might just be that I get one email written that day or that I make one phone call. So it doesn't have to be big, giant things. But as long as I'm always moving forward, I feel like I'm kind of winning at the game of life. Oh, my gosh. You and I are kindred spirits because the tagline on my website says, are you ready to move forward in life? It literally says that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's totally my mantra is, and even with work in business planning, I will say, what can we just move forward? No matter how bad things are, just what can we move forward? And what a great way to look at life. What is the next thing we can do? I want to hear some of the sciencey stuff you were talking about when you were talking about your love of neuroscience. Can you give us a little bit of a summary uh, of what is going on in our minds when it comes to sort of the language we're using with ourselves, how we're having conversations in our heads? How does that link back to the science? Yeah, well, I have to tell you, so neuroscience or neuro anything like neurogenesis, neurobiology, but neuroscience is my jam. And I just absolutely fell in love with it. And there's things that we just are only now discovering about the brain that will completely blow your mind. But let me give you one that's not in my book. Okay. Oh, exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So recently I was watching a podcast with a neuroscientist. His name is Moran Cerf. And he was explaining that they've just discovered that when you are in proximity with another person, your brain actually synchronizes to them. So you know the old saying, birds of a feather flock together, or sometimes people say you're the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with? Yeah. 
Well, now there's actual scientific evidence that that is true. And so what it looks like is this, like this is how you can use this to your own benefit. Say there's somebody that you really admire. If you can just get in proximity to them, be in the same room with them, or if there's somebody famous just by watching their videos or reading their books, you actually synchronize your brain activity to theirs, meaning your brain wiring. And so that's one of the newer ones. That's not in the book, but um, I just want to share that with you because I think it's so exciting. That is really exciting. I'm, I'm just, I'm sitting with that for a second, trying to get my head around it. So my brain is adjusting to what I am experiencing with other people, basically. Yes. And it's, it's almost like your brain is learning from the other person's brain. And, you know, here's the thing, and this is why this can happen is because if you've heard of um, neuroplasticity, you know, this is this idea that our brains are more fluid than we used to believe. So we had that saying, like, I'm just wired that way. So the old way to think about it was that we had these patterns in our life and that they would be hardwired into our brain structures. So really in our subconscious, our neocortex. Okay. So you've got your prefrontal cortex, which is where all your conscious thought lies. And the thing about your conscious thought is that we think about 60,000 thoughts a day and really something like 90% of them are identical to the thoughts from the day before. I believe it. And so the thing is, like, in order to get into alignment, we want to have our feelings, our thoughts, and our words all in alignment with the goals that we choose. But what I have noticed is it's very difficult for me to control my thoughts. And so then our conscious thought does feed back to our subconscious mind. And our subconscious mind is where it's more the production of these thoughts and as well as where our belief systems are. So if you saw something mirrored to you, or if you saw something in your childhood and that sort of became the way that you adopted your belief system, then your behaviors are derived from the way that these, these neural pathways are wired in your mind. But here's the magical part. And the most important part to understand is that every moment of every day, we are creating new neural pathways and the way to break your old beliefs, your fears, move past your doubts is just to focus on the way that you want it to be and focus on creating new neural pathways by actually taking inspired action in the direction of where you want to go, which is why your moving forward thing is so brilliant. So what I'm hearing you say is rather than trying to go in and change the thoughts, so rather than being like, don't think about white elephants you're saying, think about what you do want instead. Absolutely. There's a story in my book because I had gotten really excited. I had been listening to um, Neville Goddard on his speech. It was called Self-Talk Creates Reality. And I was super, super excited. And I was going in to have a massage and I wrote down my thoughts that I was planning on thinking about. This is how much of a nerd I am. I have to plan <laughs> my massage. I love it. I'm planning the conversation I'm going to have in my head later. <laughs> this is exactly what I was doing. But what happened was I laid down on the massage table. I got all relaxed and I have this thing I wrote. It's called my magic eight. And my magic eight is the eight things that I want to accomplish in my lifetime in order just to like be satisfied. One of the items is that I want to have a nice relationship with my ex-husband. 
So I'm laying there on the massage table and I'm trying to think all these like nice thoughts about having a nice relationship with my ex-husband. And all I can think about is like the opposite of that. Like, I don't want to tell you what was really in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. I think we can imagine. (laughs) Right, right. But after about 45 minutes, I finally said to my massage practitioner, I'm like, I, I can't believe I can't control my thoughts. And so it was just such a nice exercise to understand that it's really sometimes it feels like our thoughts are thinking us, like we're not thinking them, but where do they come from? You know, and they, and it's in that subconscious mind. So she, we kind of, her and I talked through it and the stories in the book, but it, it really brought me to this realization that words are such an easier entry point, because if you can change your words, and you can understand the power of words, then you can slowly over time begin to shift your thoughts like a feedback loop. I totally hear you. So you've changed the inner conversation by changing the words you use on the outside world. Absolutely. 1000% correct. Oh, I love it. You talk about some communication expression techniques in your book. There were five types that you listed out. Can you run those through for us? What are the five types of communication expression that we do need to be conscious of? Yeah, I love these. So the first one is self-talk. And so self-talk is what consists in our conscious mind. It's those thoughts we were just thinking about. And what's really important to understand about self-talk is that you want to reach for the most empowering thoughts you can have. So what brought me to this work when I originally saw the Louise Hay documentary, You Can Heal Your Life, was this woman in the opening scene and she's saying like, I'm so stupid. And she's just thinking this inside of her head. And I just started crying because I immediately realized how often I tell myself, I can't believe I just made that mistake again, or I can't, you know, why am I so stupid? Or, or why did I eat that? You know, I didn't need to eat that. It tasted good, but it's not really in my diet. So I was just so hard on myself. And so self-talk, whether it's good or bad is going to be the thing that programs your subconscious mind. And then the next thing is spoken word. And spoken words are almost like a mirror to what's inside of your mind. So when you, in order to immerse yourself in the life that you really want to create, you can deliberately align your speech. And whether you realize it or not, the words you speak actually affirm what's true in your life. And so words spoken out loud are super, super powerful. Maybe a year or two ago, I was watching a video. I woke up one morning and I had this thought that I wanted to learn the Hebrew alphabet. It was like the oddest, like random thought. To I, have, have, I have tried that and it is hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, but have you ever woke up one day and just thought, well, I want to learn Mandarin today? Personally, <laughs> no, but we'll, we'll keep going with you, Mary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I just woke up thinking, I just really want to learn the Hebrew alphabet today. So I found this video and I realized very quickly why I had this thought because found this rabbi who had videoed his Hebrew classes and they were online. So around 29 minutes into the video, he said, there's a word in the English language that that we all know that's the word we use when we pull the rabbit out of the hat, abracadabra. And then he said in like ancient Aramaic, this means abra, of course he said it with all the, you know, throatiness of 
the Hebrew. Of nice Hebrew, uh, yeah. Yes. And he said, Abara means I will create, and Kadabara means as I speak. Oh. I will create as I speak. And and for whatever reason, my thoughts led me to that video that day. I, I truly, truly understood the power of spoken words. You literally are creating your existence with every word you speak. So be careful when you say things like, oh, I'm so stupid. And really think to yourself, I'm so powerful. Mm. Wow, that, that has just floored me, Mary. How magical is that? Abracadabra. I love it. I will create as I speak. Wow. Yes. Yes, it was it was definitely a life affirming moment because at the time I was I was in the middle of writing the book and I was talking to my editor at Hay House and I was sort of I was just ma- wanting to make sure that the information I was putting out into the world was was real authentic and then that was the day I had that thought come oh, to me. Too perfect. It's okay, so, so beautiful. That was number two. What's number three on our list of communication expression needs that we need to be conscious of? So affirmations, and as you can see, we've got a theme here. So we've got the thoughts in our head as self-talk, and then we've got the words we say. And then the next level to that is affirmations. And I love affirmations, but I wasn't a person who naturally loved them because I didn't want to say anything that I felt like I was lying to myself. So affirmations are just a way of declaring that what you want to be true actually is true. And so I've created a way that you can write affirmations so you never feel like you're being dishonest with yourself because we can always find something to affirm or to declare in our world that feels true and feels good. So like, let me give you an example of that. Um, Let's just say you have a listener and that listener is trying to find a job. Like they've, they've, they're just looking for employment. It may not feel very true for them to say an affirmation that's something like, I have the best job in the world and I am so thankful for my wonderful job. And that would actually cause a little bit of anxiety to say something like that. But a great way to use this affirmation is to say, I am always in the right place at the right time. Mm, And, you know, so you're saying it more of like in an asking, I'm always in the right place at the right time. And opportunities are opening up to me every single day. Or I love this one, something wonderful will happen today. Those are all brilliant. And I'm the same. If something doesn't resonate with me, and it feels I feel like I'm being a fraud with myself. It just that doesn't feel authentic. Yeah. And then sometimes you have what I, and this is a joke, so it's not meant to offend anybody, but sometimes I say there are these, what I call law of attraction language police. And these are the people who, every time you open your mouth, they'll say, well, you're just asked the universe to bring that to you. And I just don't believe that. I think the universe is a lot smarter than that. And I think it's the intention behind what you're saying. That's really the important part. Mary, now I know you're my soul sister because, (laughs) gosh, I feel you. It is the intention. It's the feelings we hold. I am 100% with you. And yes. And so it just feels so much better to me to say something like something wonderful is going to happen today or guide me to be in the right place at the right time. And then it it, it works. I, I don't know why it works, but it just works. The next one on our list is goals. 
So I love goals and we don't really think of goals traditionally as a way of self-expression, but there is a best-selling book called write it down, make it happen. And she went into all the science behind and she did all this research about people who had written goals and that there's, there's so much of a difference between people who achieve success in life and those that do not. And what they have found is that high achievers regularly write goals. And so goals is a way of, ex- of self-expression that you are really priming your brain and priming the idea muscle of your brain of how you're going to connect to those goals. So I love goals as um, number four. And then gratitude is one of my favorites because gratitude is all about the feeling of just having an attitude in your mind of acknowledging all the benefits that you've seen, that you know, you've witnessed, that you've received, or that you will receive. And gratitude was a real turning point in my life in a couple of years ago. Yeah, I'm a big believer in gratitude. It does bring beautiful things into our lives. I do believe that what we focus our energy on, we see more of. Absolutely. Hey, and Oprah's big into gratitude. It seems to work for her. Yeah, she's she is the queen of something working for her. Yeah, something's working for her. <laughs> Mary, I ask a little bunch of questions in every interview just so that the listeners can actually get to know you a little more personally. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw them your way right now. Are you ready? Yeah, this sounds fun. Are you a morning person or a night person? Much more of a morning person. A morning person. What's currently sitting on your nightstand? Well, I have a beautiful blue lamp. I have a coaster. There's probably a coffee cup and some vitamins, as well as maybe some of those like thought cards that I like to pull out every now and again. What are your thought cards? I want to hear about this. Well, so I have my own that I've written that are called The Power of Personal Creation. And they're things like the power of focus, the power of letting go, the power of gratitude, the power of vision. I've got like 136 of these, but, um, so there's those, but also I just have, you know, different decks from like Marianne Williamson or Mike Dooley, just all my favorite authors. I like the way you call them thought cards. What is your favorite self-care activity? Do you believe in putting some energy into self-care? Oh my goodness. Yes. In fact, it's one of the exercises in the, in the book. I'm a huge believer in self-care because it's all about balance. Uh, You know what I love to do is I love to go and get a massage because it's, it's a way for me to completely check out for 90 minutes. And as long as I'm not trying to think about my ex-husband, it's really a (laughs) self-care activity. So beautiful. How frequently do you try and get massages? At least a couple times a month. Oh, you are doing a good job. I haven't, I can't remember the last time I had a massage. I might have to get one on the books. I hope you do. Yeah, I do. I will. Do you have a favorite book or a book that you feel really made an impact on you when you've read it? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it's such a huge, long list of books. Um, I think that the first book that popped in my head when you said it is Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Oh, his TED talk is great too. Yes. And his book, it it just, it had a huge impact on me as far as, um, even though it's a business book, to me, it really helped me understand my mission in life. And I am forever grateful for that book. Mm, Start with why. I will link to that in the show notes for people. Do you have a 
detour that you took in life now that you look back at your life's journey to where you are now can you look back and be like oh I look I took the long route there but there were some awesome lessons that I learned on the way I feel like that is a metaphor for my entire life (laughs) (laughs) you took the long way give us give us give us an example of a time you took the long route so for example um when I was when I was about 21 years old maybe 20 and this was after my daughter had passed away. I was working at a bank. And when I got to my time for me to have my 90 day review, they actually let me go. So I was fired. And this was devastating to me that I was fired. And the thing is, you know, now that I'm 43 years old and not, you know, like 21 or 22, I really can see the importance of the impact of losing that job. Because when I lost that job, I I had a lot of low self-esteem and I didn't think a lot of people when I was a child told me I wouldn't amount to anything. And I was starting to believe that because here I'd already, you know, been a teenage mother and she passed away and I had lived on my own since I was 16 years old. And here I had gotten fired from this job. So I ended up taking a job as a telemarketer because we all love telemarketers, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah. That would be a really easy job. Right. But here's the thing. The magic of that telemarketing job became the first the first entry point for me to understand the power of words, believe it or not, it came from a telemarketing job that I had 20 plus years ago. Oh, you have to tell us more, Mary. So how did that help you understand the power of words? Well, it was little things because I actually became like the number one telemarketing telemarketer in the entire company. And back in those days, I want to say this was 1993, we were trying to sell caller ID. So caller ID is just something we all have on our phones now. You know, when the phone rings, you can see who it is. Mm -hmm. But in 1992, that technology was brand new. And so my job was to call people from the phone company and ask them if they wanted caller ID and people didn't understand. So I had to really use words to persuade them to get caller ID. And so years later, when I I started my own company, I became a really big believer in scripts and everything that I did was scripted. And so I began to cultivate the power of words. And then I started to understand that certain words had certain effects on people's nervous system. And that by saying words like no, not, can't, won't, however, and unfortunately, in a customer service situation that you are actually activating people's fight or flight. And so again, you know, it goes back to the neurology and that there were other words that you could say to people that would activate their parasympathetic nervous system, which is your, your feel good. Like it would cause feel good hormones to be produced instead of like fight hormones. So yeah, the, my mistake was that obviously I wasn't a very good banker, but what it led me to on my life path was it led me to my mission and what I really was supposed to be teaching in this world. Oh, so gorgeous. You just running through those words of no, can't, unfortunately, I noticed my body react to them. I was like, icky words. So what other, <laughs> what, what words do you encourage people in a customer service sense to replace those with? 
Can I tell you how that happened? Yes. Super quick. So in 2005, I was at a Tony Robbins event called Unleash the Power Within. And I know Tony does some events all over the world, so I'm sure you've heard of him. Oh, I have. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I just kind of said that as a joke. But yeah, maybe. Maybe I've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You know. Anyway, I go to these conferences, and if I can just like pick up one idea, I like to do that. So my idea that I got from him was what you focus on grows and always know your outcome. And so believe it or not, Kate, I actually own a debt collection company. And so <laughs> I'm glad we're going there because I love this part of your story. <laughs> it's so interesting because you never think of like a dot leader as a debt collector. So what happened was I went back to my office and I just, I didn't think to myself, oh, I want to make a million dollars or I want to be a hot shot. I just thought I want the next person who calls to be happier at the end of the call than they were at the beginning of the call. And what happened was that I figured out how to do that because in your mind, you know, I set a goal and then my mind figured out the solutions of how to take me there. And so that also, you know, I already had this sort of like blooming understanding of neuroscience and the brain, and I just started studying it more and more. Well, as a debt collector, you know, people would already be in their fight or flight response because, you know, they would already be feeling anxiety to, to even ring us on the phone. And when I, when my mission became, became that I want every person to feel good about paying their debt instead of feeling shame about having a debt, everything changed. Oh, I get it. Right. It's just, I, I would want to ring if I had a debt, I would want to ring a company that I didn't feel was judging me or was helping me feel better about it and look for a solution, right? It, absolutely. And it's, it's truly, truly my, in, in more, you know, this is my, we've been talking a lot today about personal development, but in my more professional side, I am now working with other collection agencies to, to teach them how to do this because, you know, really as a business owner, we have a responsibility to be a humanity plus company, which means what are you doing to make the world a better place? And even though, because someone has to have the job of a debt collector because, you know, we have a financially based society. And if someone's going to do that job, I'm glad it's me. And oh. you, you had asked about some words. So some of the words that we use are just really simple. We want to build confidence with the person we're talking to. So we'll say, what I can do for you is, mm. instead of saying what's going to happen to them, like, ooh, like something bad's going to happen because you owe money. You're, you know, we're going to say, what can we do for you? What This is what we can do for you. And we just help them through it. It makes so much sense. I mean, how much more approachable is that kind of language? So I'm sure that people who are listening in a business type sense will have just learned something right in that little conversation there. Okay, the next question. What is one thing in your day that you can't do without, Mary? Oh, coffee. <laughs> is it the first thing you grab in the morning? I did note it that you had a coffee cup by your bedside. Uh, yeah, you know, I feel I feel like a little guilty because I didn't say, you know, like gratitude or no. You this know. is what I want. I want real. <laughs> yeah, definitely um, coffee. I'm I'm with you. I think someone asked me a similar question in a podcast. And I'm pretty sure I said coffee too. All right, now the the big question: How would you describe the soul? Wow, I think that our souls are are so big and beautiful and it probably defies human description, but I've read so many books on it. In fact, um, 
I'm reading a book right now called Your Soul's Plan. And it describes the soul as this like big, big, you know, energy and that a fragment of that soul comes to earth to have an incarnation. So I feel like the soul is definitely connected with all that, that source energy. And it's, it's what we go back to. I mean, I believe that there's life after life. So I feel it's what we rejoin to when we're finished with this incarnation. That leads really nicely into my next question, which is now going back to what I want to learn from you. Science versus spirituality. Now, in the self-help space, this is something that I've personally really struggled with because I'm trained in a scientific background, but I've always been incredibly spiritual. Where do you place yourself on the spectrum and how do you see the tension or no tension between these two? Well, ever since I was a child, I've just always, always believed that science and spirituality uh, are really the same thing. They just use two different languages. And when you go back and you really start to study from the ancient spirituality, or even more recently, like Yogananda, when he's discussing the grooves in your mind, he's describing neural networks 50 years before they were even discovered. And he talks about that you have this record playing in your mind and you see the grooves on the record player and the needle is just following the grooves. And he describes that, he uses that to describe consciousness. But now, you know, science has discovered that to be true or even like, um, now I'll forget this one, but there is a scientific principle that says like energy can never be destroyed. It can only be transformed, right? Yes, yes. So our consciousness is an energy. And so I I just feel like it's the same thing. Like it cannot be destroyed. It can only transform. So as our body transforms or decomposes after death, our consciousness is released to another form. So you kind of don't see that there's a tension. You see them as one kind of explaining or coexisting with the other. I do. And I feel like, um, I feel like we're seeing that so much more, even in, even in like deep space, because I'm super fascinated with uh, cosmology and astrophysics and the things that we don't, don't like the average person doesn't even think about something like pulsars and quasars and just the immense, immense chemical reactions that happen. But yet that is also happening inside of our body. Or like when you study the, the cell, like one living cell is actually a living unit, just like you, Kate, are a living person. But every cell inside of your body is a singular living unit that has a life and a death cycle. And that's within your body. And I think that in spirituality, you know, there's a lot of language that talks about that, but they didn't, they didn't talk about it using the same kind of words because those words didn't exist in scientific terms back then. Mm. So would you say that you see yourself as touching both ends of the spectrum? Oh, absolutely. Because I, my friend Will calls me spiritual Google, (laughs) Um, but (laughs) But like my, my other friends can tell you that I can, I can totally nerd out on them. I've read tons of science books and studied not just neuroscience, but so many different sciences fascinate me. And my father was a nuclear engineer, so I may just have that kind of coded in my genetics. So I'm really interested in hearing what your science background is. I was trained as a business psychologist. So when I say science, I studied the science of people 
but it's just that when you think about a lot of what I've learned about people in a science sense, then you bring spirituality in the, into the piece. And there's often some tension actually between psychology and spirituality, just because psychologists get a little bit geeked out about the science. And if you can't measure it, then it's not real is what, what I guess I've struggled with. I'm like, I'm somewhere between like a psychologist and a philosopher is how I would say it. Because I've been taught that everything that I need to see for it to be real has to be measurable and the type of psychology I was taught, which I've had enough human experience to know isn't the case. So it's been really interesting journey for me trying to manage that tension and letting myself flow back into my own spiritual nature because I certainly pushed that side of me aside for a very long time. Oh, I can totally relate to that because, you know, even, even that thing that I told you about that day that I woke up wanting to learn the Hebrew alphabet, you know, where did that thought come from? It's not like I ever thought that before, right? you know, and, and it had yeah. to come from somewhere. And I feel like uh, when I was coming through psychology a number of years ago, and I know it's changed a lot with the humanistic side, and I think psychology as a field and as a science is developing, but I very much came through as the scientist practitioner model and a very behaviorist university. So it truly kind of was, if you can't measure it, it's probably not real. All of those internal thoughts aren't necessarily measurable and you know especially when we start delving into that soul space and we and like you said it even is hard to put into words so how could we ever measure that in numbers I I, I still find it fascinating it still I hurts my you, brain at times I, I bet you would love 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 the research of Malcolm Gladwell in, yes so so his book Blink I, I haven't read Blink I've read Outliers Okay, so there is some really fascinating stories in Blink about, which is all about thin slicing. So like how we're using our instincts to thin slice something. And there's fascinating stories in there uh, that are very, very in-depth, so I can't really get into them. But basically, you know, how would science describe instincts, you know, and how would spirituality would say, Spirituality would say, follow your intuition, right? In science, we have instincts. So we have certain instincts we're born with, like suck a bottle, you know, even, even babies, newborn babies are born with that instinct that moves their legs, like at a walking motion. So we have instincts, but also we have this storage capacity in our brains that memorizes everything that we've ever seen. And so instincts also can be explained by when something happens like an emergency, and sometimes you just knew what to do without having to think about it. Now, is that is that instincts or is that intuition? Right. <laughs> That's my big question. I'm going to have to read Blink. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good book. Oh, I, that's going to be on my reading list. All right, final question for you, Mary. I want to know if you have a simple exercise for the listeners that can help them on their path to being more conscious in their communication. Yeah, so I'll tell you what, I'm going to tell you this, this one that could be a daily practice. I'm really big into having daily practices. It's called the Daily Desires Diary, and you just write every day three things that you are most proud of yourself in that day. Cause I think, especially with women, we don't take the time to brag. And so it's like saying three things that you brag about today, and then you're going to write 
three things that you're grateful for each day and three things that you desire. And if you do this every day, I promise you that in about 30 to 45 days, you're going to become slightly, you'll have a pivot in your consciousness, in the way that you feel. And it's like we talked about those feelings are the catalyst to change your thoughts. And when your thoughts begin to change, then your entire life changes. Mary got me thinking communication is something that we really have the power to change. And that's what I appreciate about the message that she is sharing is it is something practical and we can do something about it. In line with that, Mary has a huge bunch of amazing resources that she shares. She has an Ignite Your Dreams workbook, which is available for free download on her website. If you head over to www.maryshaws.com forward slash IYD workbook, you'll be able to pop in your details and download that for free. You can also pre-order her book, which is very soon to be released. The title is Conscious Communications, and you'll be able to find that at any good online bookstore, or if you head to her website, Mary Shores, and that is with an S on the end, dot com, you will be able to follow the links. She's also offering some epic freebies, specifically a daily desires diary and a dream with a deadline workbook for those who purchase the book. Again, head to Mary's website for details or I have all of the links you will need in the show notes or over at my website at thrive.how forward slash podcast 50. I have another great interview up for you next week. My first with a guy. So stay tuned for that. Till then, bright and beautiful people, 